the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Cancel everything. Well, at least cancel sports anyway. As shocking as it may seem, now that they have tested baseball players every 20 minutes for the last two knows how long, they're finding lots of players testing positive for COVID-19. At least they did in the Miami Marlins locker room. Uh, they had 13 positives last I heard, and the Marlins postponed their home opener. It was supposed to be played tonight in Miami, and the game between the Yankees and the Phillies in Philadelphia, where the Marlins played and where they used the locker room over the weekend, was also postponed. Now keep in mind, just for a reference, in Allegheny County, the official number of people under 40 who have died from COVID-19 is um, zero, none, nada. Maybe the numbers are out there, but I haven't seen any numbers on how many of the Marlins players have been hospitalized. How many of the 13 are on ventilators or heading for the ICU? And I think I would have heard if any of them had died by now, so I'm guessing nobody's died. There's no minor league baseball season. They, they canceled that. Um, and that means that every team has lots of players hanging around with nothing to do. So how about this? If 10 players get sick, or 13 in this case, uh, and sick is all they get, then have them stay away for a few days and hope more players don't get sick. Then when the sick players come back, the minor leaguers can go back to doing nothing or they can hang around to fill in for the guys who got sick from the other guys who got sick. If all they're doing is getting sick, why are we worrying about it? And if they are going to release the number of players who test positive, shouldn't they also release the number of players who do have symptoms and how many don't? And... How many players might be going to the hospital? Wouldn't it be uh, worthwhile to find out just how sick they are and whether how bad this is? Uh, and how many players might be going to the hospital, you know, uh, or going on those uh, ventilators? Uh, let's get panicked over that. I don't think that's happening. Uh, based on the stats, and, and baseball loves stats, as everybody knows, uh, the players have a better chance of being run over by a bus walking to the ballpark than they do of dying from COVID-19. So how many times do we have to see this? They are sick. They might feel really bad for a week or ten days, maybe even longer. That's a shame. Stay home until you feel better. The flu has run through teams in every sport forever. I've dealt with it. I've covered teams that have had that issue. Teams deal with it or have dealt with it, but they, but they weren't testing everybody, and they didn't know the number of people who actually had the virus but had no symptoms because if you don't have any symptoms, nobody cares if you have the virus. You just play. Would it be nice to know how many of the 13 players had mild or no symptoms? Uh, I mean, seriously. Now there's talk of the entire stupid 60-game baseball season being canceled. And there's also talk that, that's what's, uh, that, that what is happening in, in uh, baseball could jeopardize the NHL, the NBA, and the NFL. And the hysteria continues. Players tested positive. Run for your lives. Meanwhile, the election is less than 100 days away, and as far as I know, that hasn't been canceled yet or moved back, and it's not going to be canceled by COVID-19. But if Joe Biden wins, the uh, de the Democrats may get their chance to cancel the suburbs. We're going to talk to an expert on that uh, when we come back right after this break. And coming up in the second half hour, we are going to get a first-hand account from somebody who's been right in the middle of all the stupidity that's been going on in Portland for the last two months. Stick around. We're all thinking a lot more about staying safe these days. Windows R Us Pittsburgh is no different. This is John Steigerwald. When it comes to working around your home, Windows R Us remains committed to the safety of you and your family. For roofs, gutters and downspouts, siding, and, of course, windows, Windows R Us Pittsburgh can answer the call. With over 50 years of home remodeling experience, Windows R Us has earned its reputation as the area's premier exterior replacement company. 
and all work will be done in strict compliance with the government's social distancing guidelines. If you've had damage, you may be eligible for free repair or replacement. Visit windowsrspittsburgh.com for a free inspection from one of their highly trained appraisers. You'll love their no-pressure approach, no hidden fees, and one of the fastest turnaround times in the industry. From a company that will never skip town when it comes to honoring their warranty, why pay double? Trust the area's premier exterior replacement company. That's Windows or Us Pittsburgh.com. Windows or Us Pittsburgh.com. For more than 20 years, investigative filmmaker Tim Mahoney has traveled across the globe in search of patterns of evidence to support some of the Old Testament's most miraculous events. Now, with the Red Sea Miracle Part 2, Journey to Egypt and Beyond, as Tim interviews some of the world's foremost experts to discover the truth. Is there evidence of how and where the host of Israelites could have traveled as recorded in the Bible? Is there evidence of the Egyptian army's demise in the Red Sea? If you've seen the first part of this investigation of the Red Sea miracle, you won't want to miss the continuation. The results of his pursuits are faith-affirming and fascinating. You must see Patterns of Evidence, The Red Sea Miracle, Part 2. To see this powerful documentary and others in the series, go to SalemNow.com and use the promo code Pittsburgh for 20% off. That's SalemNow.com, promo code Pittsburgh. Hey, are you guys open? Yeah, yeah we are. Come on in. As businesses reopen across the nation... Is your business prepared for what comes next? Salem Surround can help. COVID-19 brought America's thriving economy to a screeching halt. But now, local businesses are getting back to normal, and families are getting out to shops, stores, and restaurants. Are you ready for the return to business and all that pent-up consumer demand? Business recovery plans should be ready to go right now. The marketing team at Salem Surround is ready to help, so you don't waste a minute or a dollar recapturing market share. We'll help design your recovery plan targeting potential customers with proven marketing strategies with everything in our toolkit working for you digital audio mobile even audience engaging contests and promotions contact salem surround for a free evaluation of your digital marketing plan learn more by logging on to surroundpittsburgh.com surroundpittsburgh.com connecting you with new customers have you ever wanted to learn a new language like french spanish or russian but thought it would be too difficult and time-consuming? Then go to Babbel.com and try it for free. Babbel works because it's built around real life. It teaches you everyday practical conversations that you will actually use. In 15 minutes a day, you'll be on your way to speaking a new language in just a few weeks. Babbel uses a modern conversation-based technique that makes language engaging, fun, and memorable. It starts by teaching you words and phrases. Then, sentences gradually get more complex. Soon, you're practicing short conversations about real-life topics. Babbel is created by language experts who use the space repetition method to help you learn quickly and remember what you learned. With Babbel, you can speak a new language. Babbel. Language for life. Now try Babbel for free. Just go to Babbel.com and start learning a new language today. That's Babbel.com, B-A-B-B-E-L.com. You're listening to The John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer. Well, if you uh, live in the suburbs or if you live in the city and are planning to escape to the suburbs anytime soon, this is important stuff for you. The Democrats would like to ruin the suburbs, and it could be the uh, suburbs who decide the election. Stanley Kurtz is a senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center and, by the way, actually lived in Mount Lebanon for a while. He joins us now. Stanley, thanks for being here. John, thanks so much for having me. And I grew up in Squirrel Hill. Great. So, so you lived in the city. That's a city, kind of the, you know, it's not urban, but it's, you know, it's the city. Mm-hmm. And, yes. and you spent some time in the suburbs, too. So Exactly. And I love both. Spe- <laughs> so... So is this is something started by Obama and Joe Biden just wants to finish it? Is that the idea? That's exactly it, John. There's a regulation, an incredibly radical regulation called Affirmatively Furthering Fair Housing. And this regulation was put out toward the very, very end of the Obama-Biden administration. Uh, so it was never actually put into effect. That was all supposed to be for Hillary to do. And once uh, President Trump came in, he suspended enforcement of the rule, 
And uh, just last week, he completely uh, ended the rule. Uh, but of course, that will not stop Joe Biden, if he's elected, from just reintroducing the rule. He's promised to do that and even to uh, turbocharge the enforcement of the rule uh, in, the, in the old uh, iteration under Obama-Biden administration. Uh, you could get out of the rule by sacrificing a lot of money and government grants, but at least you could get out of the problems with the rule. But with what Biden is promising to do now, there's probably no escape from the rule. Uh, and what this rule does essentially is to radically undercut the political and economic independence of the suburbs. Uh, it takes decisions over local zoning, over um, school district boundaries, over transportation hub location, over the location of business districts, basically almost all of your city planning elements, and it puts them into the hands of the feds. So it really is an upending of a traditional American system, which emphasizes local government. So um, I don't get the impression that there are people in the suburbs, uh, people out here in uh, Mount Lebanon and Upper St. Clair and Fox Chapel, clamoring for more gov- more federal government <laughs> intervention and uh, wanting to give away their autonomy to Washington, D.C., or even to Harrisburg, for that matter, so where's this idea coming from? I mean, who, who, who decided that there was a need for this? Well, John, the, uh, the left side of the Democratic Party, which uh, President Obama was very much a part of, particularly back in his community organizer days, but of course even, even later when he became president, has always um, had a problem with the suburbs, and often they will call suburbs sprawl. And Biden mm-hmm. himself, in his policy statement on um, urban and suburban issues, uses the word sprawl. He's going to stop the sprawl. He's going to fight the sprawl. And in the view of uh, the left of the Democratic Party, actually, there's something fundamentally unjust about the very existence of suburbs, because in their view, when you go out to the suburbs, you take your tax money with you. And that's selfish from this perspective. It, uh, that money ought to be shared with less well-off people back in the cities. So the left side of the Democratic Party has always had a thing about suburbs not really been um, approving of of the structural idea of of local government. And, um, of course, the public is not not, uh, in favor of that view, as you say. And so what we haven't seen is a proposed law that would put all of the very um, ambitious changes in this affirmatively furthering fair housing regulation into law. And then we'd have a national debate, and people would talk about it in Congress. Instead, Obama rode on some obscure language in the original Fair Housing Act, which didn't at all mean uh, what this uh, very long and involved rule says it does. And he used that language as an excuse to shoehorn all of these rules and regulations to get federal control of the suburbs a little bit on the QT so that um, suburbanites wouldn't get it. So now the Democrats are making a big play for the suburban vote, uh, but what they haven't said uh, out loud or emphasized is what their actual plans for the suburbs are. And so that's uh, what I'm glad your listeners are getting a chance to hear a little bit about. Yeah, um, and so... If, this, if, 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 if the Democrats get their way, then uh, just uh, since you're familiar with uh, the way Pittsburgh works, the Mount Lebanon School District might be uh, merged into the city schools, or the uh, something you know, like or the, that. Or the... could, something like that could happen, John. Absolutely, and there, there's a menu of things that could happen. What? Here's how the process will work. Uh, you will, if you apply for federal grants, and most uh, areas do. If you are uh, eligible for grants from HUD, they're often called community development block grants, millions of dollars that go to most localities. I haven't looked it up, but it's very likely that the greater Pittsburgh area gets quite a few of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, you, if you get those grants, uh, then now you will have to fill out elaborate uh, demographic information on a form that tracks where everyone lives in your uh, jurisdiction by income, 
by uh, race, by ethnicity, if they're immigrants by national origin, by English language proficiency, by handicap status. And then you'll have to compare your, uh, say, Mount Lebanon's or Upper St. Clair's demography to the demography of the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area as defined by HUD. And if there are any imbalances between your jurisdiction and the greater metropolitan area, then you have to submit a plan to remedy that. And one of the remedies might be building, uh, suspending your zoning, if you're zoned for single-family homes, and building high-density, low-income housing. Another remedy might be redrawing the borders of your school district. Uh, There's a menu of remedies, but all of them tend to break down local control and, and also to effectively redistribute suburban uh, tax money to the broader metropolitan area. So, so this uh, substitutes county, state, or federal control for, for local. No, no more township commissioners? Would, that would be the dream? That is the dream. Uh, actually, uh, the, uh, the folks who thought up all of these rules and regulations, their initial strategy was to just have large cities annex their surrounding suburbs a fellow named David Rusk, who is a former mayor of Albuquerque, is one of the leaders of this regionalist way of thinking. And he wrote a book called Cities Without Suburbs. And his initial idea was to just have cities annex suburbs. Well, when they couldn't uh, do that, because some states had outlawed annexation, and in others it was just a political non-starter, they came up with all these alternatives to, in effect, create regional government. To uh, They wouldn't outright eliminate your local township supervisor, but they would, in effect, reduce their power and transfer power through a variety of mechanisms uh, that the federal government would be able to press on localities. They would transfer power toward regional governing bodies. One of the things in this AFFH regulation is to uh, try to, one way you can satisfy the criteria that would get you your grants would be to go into what's called a regional governing consortium. So they'll set up these little associations of governments in the greater Pittsburgh area, and they'll pressure Mount Lebanon or Upper St. Clair or wherever to join that. And once they've joined it, then all the tax redistribution will begin. And that's really only the beginning. There's so many aspects to all this. If you fill out the um, information, demographic information, the wrong way, and I don't mean that you make a factual mistake, I mean there there, are... checkboxes in there that say, well, can you explain why you have these demographic imbalances? And it gives you choices like you have uh, single-family zoning or you haven't joined a regional governing body. And if you're foolish enough to check one of those boxes, it would be almost like a signed confession that they could use in a suit against you in court. So there are a lot of ways they can get you. We're talking to Stanley Kurtz. He's a senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center uh, and if you live in the suburbs, this should uh, annoy you a lot, what you're hearing here. Um, and what makes them think that, uh, I mean, how far can the tentacles reach? What makes them think that people who live in the suburbs now and like it wouldn't just move further out? And, and not to mention, Stanley, that I think uh, you can chime in on this, but I, I think that the the whole idea of working in a city becomes less appealing now now that people are finding out you can work from home, and why do you have to sit in rush hour traffic and even go into a city or have a have an office in an expensive building downtown with a bunch of cubicles when everybody can be working at home? I mean, this is the kind of a wrong time to try to be uh, to, to you know to get people interested in being hooked in with the city. Oh, I totally agree, John. Uh, they 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 were always running across public sentiment, and now. That goes double, but it really doesn't change the attitude of these leftist um, ideologues. And it's true, on the one hand, that there could be a big popular reaction against all of this, which is one reason that the Democrats don't tout their plans out loud, although to my, somewhat to my surprise, Biden has put a remarkable amount of it on his um, policy website, but he's, he's still not touting it. But one of the the new levers that they have, what Biden has proposed that even Obama-Biden administration did not do, is a very coercive strategy that they think will give them success. And that they borrowed from Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey. And the strategy is that 
uh, or as the old way was, you're not going to get your nice, juicy HUD grant, your community development block grant, if you don't do everything we say. Uh, people could have turned down the grant. But now Booker's strategy, which Biden has adopted, is to say uh, you're not going to be able to participate in any state road repairs that are funded in part through what are called surface transportation grants from the federal government. Now, what suburb can afford to um, exempt itself from state road repairs, or if they're building a new artery somewhere to uh, speed up your commute, what suburb could afford uh, not to allow there to be an on-ramp accessible from various points in, in that jurisdiction? So by including uh, in the coercive mechanism the surface transportation grants, um, it, it will be almost impossible, I think, for suburbs to resist this. And so um, I'm guessing that this would not – I've seen uh, – it's pretty easy to just Google Joe Biden's home. Um, I'm guessing this is not going to affect Joe's neighborhood all that much over there in Delaware. Huh. Well, Joe's neighborhood's going to be the White House if he wins. Yeah, well, that's going to have to run. <laughs> he's got a nice big house in Delaware. <laughs> you know, Bill and Hillary Clinton live in um, Chappaqua. Mm-hmm. which is in, a, in uh, Westchester County, New York, which was the guinea pig for all of this. And um, there was a lot of resistance in Chappaqua in particular and, uh, and um, Westchester County in general. And all during the last election, uh, Hillary refused to say uh, what she thought of this AFFH regulation, even though it was going on right in her home. Uh, she, it was, the issue was too hot to handle but I'm sure she would have been happy to go to the White House and have all of the chauffeuring in the presidential limousine and let everything continue uh, in Chappaqua as it had under the Obama administration. So um, once you're president, you're, you're pretty safe. So what can or what is uh, Donald Trump doing to try to stop this insanity? Trump has done a lot. At first, he simply suspended the enforcement of the rule, but now I'm delighted to report that uh, just last week, he actually ended uh, the rule. He, he fully and totally removed the rule. Now they're going to sue and try to reinstitute the rule that way, but that won't be resolved any time before the election. The real test is the election. If Biden gets back in, he'll just reinstitute the rule and do everything he wants to do. But by removing the rule and not simply suspending it, uh, President Trump has created a very, very stark choice. On the one hand, you have Biden, who has promised to enforce this uh, radical AFFH regulation to the hilt and even to turbocharge it with this Booker strategy on transportation funds. And on the other hand, you have President Trump, who has removed the rule and who has pledged that he's not going to interfere with the liberty and independence of, uh, of suburban or local jurisdictions. So there's a stark choice, and it's going to be on the ballot. Yeah, that's that's a great uh, it's a great thing for an election to have a choice like that for people you know to make if they care about nothing else that should be something that would influence their vote. But how many people in the suburbs are are aware of this and and are, and, and will be aware of it on election day that you know the, the that could depend on their vote what's going to happen to their neighborhood? Well, those are two very different uh, uh, questions, and the difference is important. Right now, relatively few people are aware of this especially because, as I mentioned before, the Democrats are not anxious to advertise their position. But President Trump increasingly has decided to make an issue of this. He's removed the rule. He's beginning to talk about suburbs in his speeches. But I think he needs to give a dedicated speech to this issue. I think he needs Mm -hmm. to run ads on this issue. So there is a chance that even though people don't know too much about it now, perhaps they will by Election Day. And and they really ought to because... um, it really will. It will hit them where they live in the most literal sense. Hey, uh, Stanley, I'm fresh out of time. I'm up against a hard break. I got 15 seconds to thank you for being here. I hope to do it again. Thanks. Thanks for having me, John. All right, Stanley Kurtz, Ethics and Public Policy Center. We'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell takes the wraps off his next coronavirus relief bill. That's coming up later today. 
the funeral for the late civil rights icon and Congressman John Lewis will be held Thursday at Atlanta's historic Ebenezer Baptist Church. Lewis's family has announced that that funeral will be private. His body has arrived in Washington and is now lying in state at the Capitol. The stocks resumed their upward march on Wall Street while the price of gold rushed to a record high at the start of a week packed with potentially market-moving events. This week's headline event may be a two-day meeting for the Federal Reserve on interest rates, and that begins on Tuesday. The Dow gained 114 points today, the Nasdaq up 173, and the S&P 500 ahead 23 points. This is SRN News. This is the Entertainment Answer. Looking for some home and garden tips? Well, no one better than Martha Stewart to show you. Martha Knows Best premieres Friday, July 31st on HGTV. Also on HGTV, a new show called Build Me Up premiered last Wednesday. It's hosted by Orlando Soria, who helps his clients, which include an empty nester, a recent widow, and a single father, all transition into their next chapter that will change their lives for the better. Both shows available wherever you watch HGTV. For this Entertainment Answer, I'm Matt Mon- I'm pretty handy around the house, but now that I have kids, I don't want to spend my Saturday installing a toilet or fixing an air conditioner. But thankfully, there's HomeAdvisor. HomeAdvisor helps me find the best home pros in my area to handle any kind of project. You can read reviews of the pros, check their availability, even book appointments online. And what my wife loves most is that HomeAdvisor is completely free to use. Go to HomeAdvisor.com or download the free app to get started. HomeAdvisor. Jay Sekulow explains the new evidence of the Russian hoax. It's a case that was based on bogus lies. It was, it was fraudulent from the start. The FBI knew it was fraudulent from the start. They allowed it to go forward with one intention, to take down the sitting president of the United States. The problem that they ran into, of course, was that uh, we put on a real defense and we held the government accountable. Jay Sekulow Live, weeknights at 6, right before Larry Elder at 7, on AM 1250. The Answer. The Answer Pittsburgh celebrates the high school class of 2020, and we'd like to reward your college-bound seniors' achievement during our Senior Spotlight Sweepstakes present by Salem Media Group. Enter now through August 20th for a chance to win a $500 school package. Click the contest banner at TheAnswerPGH.com and upload a photo of your senior with a short bio of their future plans. Then, Friday, August 21st, one lucky senior will win a $500 school package. The Senior Spotlight Sweepstakes, brought to you in part by Salem Media Group, Salem Surround, and this station. Do you or your business have financial problems? Are you overwhelmed with debt? Then call me, Attorney Dennis Spire at 412-471-7675. My legal practice concentrates on bankruptcy law, debtor rights, and tax matters. I have over 30 years' experience as a former United States Department of Justice bankruptcy attorney and lawyer in private practice. I have represented thousands of cases faced with financial problems and lawsuits. Reorganize and get a fresh start. Call 412-471-7675 or visit my website at DennisSpira.com. In these challenging times, what is really happening? Is there a force behind it all? If you believe in the freedoms that founded America, if you're looking for answers, go to ProfitToAmerica.com. That's ProfitToAmerica.com. And download the free book, A Fresh Wind. Is God using this pandemic to bring us back to our roots? Go to ProfitToAmerica.com. That's ProfitToAmerica.com. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. WPGP Pittsburgh. A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or radio.com. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. Outbound 2018, some delays from Route 8 up to the Highland Park Bridge. Still really solid on the Parkway East. Outbound Bait Street up to Squirrel Hill Tunnel. About a six-minute delay. Inbound also looking busy Edgewood-Swissvale to the tunnel. Inbound Parkway West, a little volume from Banksville Road down to the Fort Pitt Tunnel. And on Banksville Road, got some construction right at the Parkway West. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, The Answer. Weather. Tonight, cloudy and humid with a couple of showers and a heavy thunderstorm below 68. Tomorrow, cloudy with a shower or thunderstorm around in the morning, then becoming less humid, high 85. Partly cloudy tomorrow night, low 64. Wednesday, 
Intervals of clouds and sunshine. High Wednesday, 85. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Brian May. This is the John Stackerwalt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. Well, the demonstrations and riots have been going on now in Portland for two months, uh, going on three. The more I see in the video, uh, the more I believe that a lot of this has nothing to do with protesting uh, anything and a lot to do with just having a lot of fun. It's a big party with a small percentage of people who are intent on destroying things and who actually may think that they're making a difference. Nate Hockman is a uh, contributing editor for the uh, contributing writer, I should say, for the City Journal. He's seen the insanity firsthand, and he joins us now. Nate, thanks for being here. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. So is I, am I pronouncing your last name correctly? You got it. Okay, good. So, uh, so, so we're off to a good start. So um, what about my theory? And I base that on my experience uh, with demonstrations when I was a college kid back in the mid-20th century. Um, mm. uh, there would be demonstrations on campus, and... Everything would be going crazy, and you'd get a call in the dorm, and somebody would say, hey, there's a demonstration, come on down. And it would be lots of people coming down for a party to watch the demonstrations. Now, that wouldn't go on for 60 days, but there were more people at those things uh, just down there for a good time and and just as uh, curiosity, you know, uh, just to see what was happening, than there were actually demonstrating. What's the percentage of serious people, do you think, in the crowd in Portland? Yeah, it's a big question. I, I don't know if I could give you exact percentages, but you're absolutely right that uh, there's a pretty significant portion of kids, a lot of kids my age, you know, I'm, I'm 22, I'm a senior in college, who are at the demonstrations in Portland just because it's something to do, you know, and, and especially in the age of coronavirus in a very left-wing city like Portland where everyone is, is supposed to stay inside all the time, protesting is the only socially acceptable way to go outside and to actually socialize with people. So, you know, at a protest like Portland, you've got a lot of college kids who are there drinking, smoking weed, uh, you know, generally uh, listening to music, uh, meeting people, having a good time. And it's the sort of socially acceptable way to go out and, and, and meet other people their age and hang out with people while saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm standing up for Black Lives Matter. I'm supporting a good cause. So it's sort of mm-hmm. a way for them to do what they would be doing this summer while still saying, you know, they're supporting left wing activism and, and they're standing up for a cause like Black Lives Matter. Uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I see the videos and, and uh, it's just so obvious to me. And I'm glad you you uh, kind of confirmed what I had thought because uh, I don't see uh, what happens in these things, and it goes all the way back to when I was a kid and it was going on, is that the media tend to look at it and they think that everybody is there because they're just, in my case, it was to end the war in Vietnam, you know. Um, and and everybody thinks it's it, that everybody who's there is just 100% behind it. And I think if you went and ask some questions of some of the people there, they wouldn't even be tell, able to tell you why they're there. They might not be able to tell you who the president of the United States is. That's right. Yeah, no, there's there's certainly a lot of that. And there's certainly also a contingent of people who are there because they're, you know, they're real believers. They're, you know, yeah. Black Lives Matter supporters, the people who really believe that, uh, you know, America is a deeply racist country, and by marching in the streets that they're going to somehow have solve the problem of, of systemic racism in America. Um, now, I'm a constitutionalist. I'm a, I'm a First Amendment supporter. I, I believe in the right to peacefully protest, even if I disagree with the ideology that's, that's motivating a particular protest. But, you know, even though the majority of people at these protests are peaceful, and that's where the media is right, it doesn't really matter if the majority of the people at the protests are peaceful if your city's burning down, and Portland is burning down. So, yes, you know, when the media says the majority of the people here are are peaceful protesters, they're technically correct. What they're ignoring is the fact that there's a pretty substantial minority of people in cities like Portland who are very violent, who are continuing to be violent, um, and are basically allowed to run roughshod over the city without law enforcement really doing much to stop them. So it's. It's, it's always odd to me when, you know, as someone who is at, the, at the, the, the demonstrations in Portland to read in the New York Times and the Washington Post the next day that, oh, you know, these are, these are mostly peaceful protests. Because if you're there, that's not the words that any rational person would use to describe it. Like, there are people 
burning down the city. Even if the majority of people who are there are being peaceful, it's not a peaceful event at this point, and it hasn't been for a while. Peacefully demonstrating isn't any fun. Just walking, you know, just standing or, you know, standing around with signs or whatever amounts to uh, peaceful protesting that's no fun not when not when you can when nobody stops you for take and you're a you're an idiotic 19 year old immature uh kid to, to put a, a can of uh spray paint in his hand let him go wherever he wants and write whatever he wants on whatever he wants uh mm-hmm. it's it's a lot of fun right i mean it's so obvious to me yeah, and it's also, I mean, the other point on top of what you said, which is absolutely correct, is the fact that there's a portion of the city in Portland where cops basically don't go at this point. They basically just ceded the city, a, a portion of the park blocks in downtown Portland by the, the Federal Oregon Justice Center to the protesters. So if you walk down there, it's been completely destroyed. It's, there are people in broad daylight graffitiing everywhere, you know, profanities, F words, yeah. S words, you know, all types of, uh, of, of uh, different things. And because there are no consequences, because the cops aren't there, it's not only the fact that it's fun to do something like graffiti um, and, and destroy property and whatnot, but there's no consequences. You can do all of that in, in broad daylight. It's a total breakdown of law and order in, in a segment of the city. So you're right that it's fun. And on top of that, there's an incentive to do it because no one's going to stop you. And so you mentioned this in your piece, the the unofficial police protest contract. There's an there's there's a there's a uh, an agreement, an, uns, an unwritten agreement between the two groups how to handle this. Yeah, I sort of I, I took poetic license, but that is how I would sort I would describe it. I mean, essentially, the the protests in Portland have been going on for I, I think over three months at this point. But you know, we're talking about. Uh, uh, or we're in the th- third month now. So we're talking yeah. about 60 plus consecutive days. And the, you know, the protesters are, that are out there every single night and the cops eventually move in to shut it down when it gets violent every single night. And it's gotten to this point where there's this sort of, the protesters and the cops have almost gotten to know each other. There's this sort of weird routine to the entire thing where everyone knows when the cops are going to show up. Everyone knows where the cops aren't going to go. The cops kind of know that. The protesters know that. There have been these, these sort of weird, unwritten rules that have developed between the demonstrators and the cops about how this whole thing works. And it's very odd to watch because, you know, the, the sort of technical message of the movement is we're here to shake things up and, and create change. But in reality, it's this sort of weird bureaucratic routine dance that happens the same so the same way night in and night out. And it, it, it's an odd thing to watch. I don't necessarily know what's going to come of it, except for the you know mass destruction of property uh, in downtown Portland. You wrote that the tone of the daytime occupation is. Uh, you said it's cheerful. What changes at night? Well, one thing that changes at night is uh, a very different demographic comes out. I think that's worth noting. It, when I was there, as the sun started to go down, you really started to notice a very different type of person showing up. So in the daytime, it, it is majority peaceful. You've got a lot of the, you know, college kids we talked about out there, you know, uh, yeah. drinking, hanging out, having a good time, playing music. For the, there's people graffitiing on the sidelines, but for the most part, it, it's unobjectionable. And a lot of those people clear out. Uh, in the night, and you start to sh- see people showing up in full riot gear with, you know, uh, a w- hand- handmade weapons, right? You know, wearing the sort of Antifa black block outfit. And they start showing up, you know, 9, 10, 11 p.m. And those are the people that are there looking for a fight. They're looking to break stuff. They're looking to throw concrete bricks at cops, right? So there is a, a very different type of person who comes out at night, and it's the type of person who's really looking for trouble, and that's when things start to get violent. We're talking to Nate Hawkman. He's a contributing writer for the City Journal, and you said you're a, uh, a college senior, Nate, and, and uh, on your, on your uh, byline there it says you're a rising senior. Uh, I was that's never right. considered a rising senior. What is a rising senior? Uh, you know, I think it's just a, a fancy way to say that I'm going to be a senior next year. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Well, I was okay. I think I was that once. Um, think- so, um, what about the coverage by the local media? I, I, I'd be curious what the like the local TV stations are doing. 
what's the tenor of their coverage? Is it all over the local news every night? Yeah, it is, you know, it is over the all over the local news because this is sort of a really big thing that's happening. The the, the media in Oregon is just as skewed as the national media towards the left in that um, the journalists and the reporters are there and they're they're right with me, right? So we're looking at the same things and we write end up writing very different accounts of what's happening um, because they are entirely focused on uh, what's happening, what, what the cops are doing wrong, right? And look, you know, cops aren't perfect, right? There's plenty of videos coming out of, of these cities of cops in the heat of the moment doing things that I'd rather they didn't do. Um, but it's what a lot of the media coverage, both in the national media and the local media misses, is the other side of the story, right? The reason that cops are, are, are tear gassing people is because people are literally firebombing the police station, setting, setting buildings on fire, throwing rocks and, and handmade projectiles at cops um, night in and night out. So unfortunately, I, I get quite frustrated with the local media coverage because it goes, oh, you know, the cops spent another night tear, ga- tear gassing peaceful protesters, but it completely leaves out most of the time the fact that cops were tear gassing peaceful protesters usually as a last resort when they didn't have any other option and things were starting to get really violent. And that's, you know, one of the reasons I went down there is because I wanted to report on that side of the story. And I'm also getting back to the cops. Um, they, they don't seem to be, as you said, there's almost like this, this agreement that, you know, everybody does what they're supposed to do for the night. And then the night just kind of ends, you know, who, who decides when uh, everything's, you know, when the party's over. Well, for, for a, on a given night, I mean. Yeah, it's at the end of the night, eventually, when things start to get violent is when cops will have to start moving in um, and, and moving people out. And that's also when a lot of the media, you know, end up filming cops uh, using more violent, more aggressive tactics. Um, but the, you know, being a, a police officer in general is a tough job, but it's a particularly tough job in a city like Portland, Oregon, where you have a city council and a local government and an Oregonian governor whose anti-cop as a general rule uh, is really sort of in the pocket of the activists running a lot of these demonstrations um, and is, is completely uninterested in supporting cops. And one of the reasons that you have a total breakdown of law and order in a city like Portland, and you do have this weird sort of routine every night is the same thing, type of dance between cops and protesters is because the cops are scared to go in and really do their job because they know that doing their job means acting aggressively against a lot of these folks. And they know that if they take risks and ask it, act aggressively, they're going to be in trouble because no one in the local government is going to stand up for them. So the alternative is they basically let the protesters have this, the city and, and, and don't move in and don't try to clear them out and protect the federal property because otherwise they'll get fired. And, you know, they've got, you know, a wife and kids most of the time or a husband and kids and they don't want to get fired. So uh, as a result, basically, we've, uh, com- we've, we have a law enforcement apparatus in, in Portland that can't enforce the law anymore. And I, I think that's a tragic thing. I think there are real consequences to that. And we're seeing that in cities like Portland. Well, what about the federal agents? How did their arrival uh, change things? Well, the, the federal agents are much more aggressive, and, and the, the justification for sending them in um, was because cops and things like Portland weren't doing their jobs uh, and couldn't do their jobs. I mean, I sympathize with the cops in Portland. Um, so they have been much more aggressive. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of sort of consternation about the fact that uh, they're driving unmarked vehicles and, you know, they're, uh, they're making arrests. Uh, in, in what looks to be like unprovoked circumstances, although there's more to that story. Um, and, you know, they don't have uh, name tags identifying them. But, you know, we can have real legitimate debates over whether or not federal agents in American cities wearing camo gear and driving unmarked cars is appropriate in a free society. But, again, there's a reason that they're there. there there's a reason that they're being aggressive, and that's because Portland's on fire and the cops aren't really able to do much about it. So it's sort of a last resort where it's, you know, either we send in these federal agents who are going to be much more aggressive or the city burns down. And, you know, I like law and order. I, I tend to be on the side of, of trying to not have the city burn down. Yeah, I only have a minute left, um, Nate, and uh, you're very impressive for a kid who's going to still go back for another year of college. Um, <laughs> what, what, if you can tell me in 30 seconds, 
what your friends, not, not just your friends, but what do you think the average college student, where do you go, Colorado? Yeah, Colorado College in Colorado Springs. Okay. What what does the average person in your in your senior class coming up think about this? Do they sympathize with the uh, protesters? Yeah, I think they generally do. It depends on the college campus, right? Of course, but uh, you know, yeah. I go to a very liberal left wing uh, college campus, and kids there are, are very supportive of this, and they're generally anti cop as a general rule. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the media environment that they are uh, enveloped in is a media environment that is very anti-cop and is sort of skewing this story one way. And I think that's too bad because there's obviously a, a side of the story that they're missing. Nate, I really appreciate you being on. My money's on you to be a little bit more successful than most of the kids at the school who think it's a good idea to, uh, I don't know, be for Antifa. Thanks, John. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, thanks a lot. That's Nate uh, Hockman. He's a contributing writer for the City Journal. You can see it at city-journal.org. We'll be right back. (music) Uncle Tom is a movie that leftist Democrats don't want you to see, which, of course, is one big reason why you should want to see it. Uh, Uncle Tom stars Larry Elder, Candace Owens, Herman Cain, and Brandon Tatum. Now, they all share three things in common. They're courageous, they had a life-changing experience, and they are black conservative Americans. Something else they have in common? Their voices are the ones the leftists don't want you to hear at a time when so many desperately need to hear it. It's their stories of how their lives were changed when they finally figured out the truth. It's the story of black conservatives in their own voice. You can see Uncle Tom now on pay-per-view. Just go to UncleTom.com and download it. The stories that these courageous people have to tell will shock you. Their journey will amaze you. It's a story of redemption and hope. It's the story of America's black conservatives, and it's the truth. See Uncle Tom now. Just go to UncleTom.com. You've heard all the lies about President Trump. Trump is a racist. Trump is Putin's pet. Here's the truth. Trump is the most effective conservative president that America has had in decades. And every lie they spread about him is targeting you. This is Kurt Schlichter, and my new book is called The 21 Biggest Lies About Donald Trump and You. It does what no other book does. It knocks down the 21 biggest lies about our president with facts and logic and humor. Trump obstructed justice. Trump hates immigrants. These are big lies. And the reason for the lies is simple. President Trump is the first president in a long time to stand up for the Constitution and for conservative principles. And when the left wants to tear down everything this country stands for, my new book, The 21 Biggest Lies About Donald Trump and You, explains why this president's courage and common sense are exactly what we need today. This is the most important book of the year. Read it and you'll agree. The 21 Biggest Lies About Donald Trump and You by me, Kurt Schlichter. Get it wherever books are sold. Hey, John Stagerwald here. I'm just here to tell you how much I love my pillow and how it's changed my sleep. Check out the new mattress topper. That's really amazing. Now, I don't know if I love my pillow or the my pillow mattress topper more. Get a my pillow mattress topper and get some of the best sleep of your life. Now it comes with a 10 year warranty and a cover that's washable and dryable and it's made in the USA. And backed with Mike Lindell's 60-day money-back guarantee. Just go to MyPillow.com and save 30%. Use promo code STAG or call 800-716-8087. When you do, Mike gives you two standard MyPillows free. That's MyPillow.com, promo code STAG, or call 800-716-8087. Eight zero eight seven. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com. When Tom Yakupin at New Era Health Plans talks to people about health insurance, they tell him they worry about having quality health insurance and their finances. Tom knows he will help with both. Hi, Mike Gallagher here. People are paying huge deductibles and premiums with Obamacare, but you can get a health plan with exclusive benefits and features. No deadlines. Enroll anytime. Plans include coverage for COVID-19 testing and medical expenses. If you're under 65, and in decent health,
health, you, your family, or business buys your own health insurance, or you're paying ridiculous COBRA rates that you're going to have to change anyway, call Tom Yakupin at New Era Health Plans. They help folks buy health plans with flexible acceptance and rates 30 to 60% lower with no deductibles or copays. Compare your coverage to what New Era Health Plans can offer. This is the best non-Obamacare plan available today. Call 724-230-4500. Write it down. 724-230-4500 or go to NewEraHealthPlans.com. That's NewEraHealthPlans.com, a quality plan managed and chosen by you, not the government. Warning. Listening to this program may expose you to toxic masculinity. The John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250. The answer. So it looks like ESPN made a big mistake over the weekend. Uh, the uh, two uh, two WNBA teams, the Liberty and the Storm. I can't remember which city they represent. Uh, I, not that many people care about the WNBA, but the story was that uh, the two teams walked off the court during the playing of the national anthem, and uh, ESPN tweeted it out that these two teams left the the Liberty and the Storm, and they didn't. They walked off before the anthem came on because uh, I guess because they 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 chose that over having some kind of a demonstration while the anthem is playing. Now here's the stupidity. Number one, I've said here uh, before, and I, I and I by the way I mentioned that on we recorded the uh, show for Channel 11 yesterday that played last night at 11:30, and I I mentioned the fact that they walked off because I thought it was true, but uh, it's been corrected by uh, ESPN. But the stupidity uh, that they would walk off the court, so they still they played the national anthem. Now, if the players walked off, I'm guessing the coaches did. I don't know. How many people were in the building as the song was playing? I've been saying this for uh, a while now ab- about the stupidity of playing the national anthem when there is no crowd there. It, it, it's not meant as a song to play to soothe the nerves of the two teams as they wait to do battle in a sport. That's not why the song is played. It's played for the crowd that has arrived to see the game. That, that's the whole point of it. There ain't no crowd. Don't play the song. This is just another example of stupidity, and it will go on. You can bet on it. Talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Bye. John Steigerwald Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group.